everybody. Welcome to the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino. Today, we have with us Clint Calcutt. Am I saying that name correct, Clint Calcutt? You betcha, yeah. Okay, cool. So you're going to notice that Clint has a, a little bit of a, what they like to call, quote unquote, Canadian accent, because he is from Canada. He's our first international guest that we're having, and he's going to tell his story of heroism uh, recovery. We're going to go into some great details here. and Hopefully, you guys will find value as we've done in the past. So without further ado, Clint, how are you, my friend? Good. Uh, thanks for having me here. Appreciate it. Let me spend the time and tell my story and share it with everybody. It's awesome, brother. Um, Clint will be getting uh, an award at the Street Cop Training Conference for his uh, you know, survivorship and all that stuff that goes with it. So we're excited to have you, man. I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's only 10 days away from this junction, and um, you look very huggable, so we'll do a hug when I see you. <laughs> Don't let me forget, though. Sounds good. Just cause me to go... Hey, you owe me a hug, hey? <laughs> yeah. And I'll, and I'll embrace. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. All right. So, dude, tell me about how'd you get into law enforcement? When, little history of yourself. Yeah. So, I'm 31 years old. I grew up in Vernon, Manitoba. Um, graduated high school in 2009. Uh, after high school, I went to college out in Lethbridge, Alberta. I took the criminal justice program. Uh, I graduated from it in. Um, 2012, that same year, I was hired by the Lakeshore Regional Police Service, which is a small police service up in northern Alberta. I did my training in Regina, Saskatchewan at RCMP Depot for six months. Uh, once I graduated that, I worked for Lakeshore Regional Police Service for just under six years before moving back to Manitoba in 2018, where I was uh, hired by the Manitoba First Nation Police Service, where I still currently work. You know, it's interesting. I I feel like the maybe if you're Canadian, you're much more familiar with the United States than we are with Canada. Is that a fair statement, you think? Uh, I don't think so, no. <laughs> are you guys not? Much. You don't know much about the United States? No, not too much. No. I, don't personally I have so. friends who are Canadian that I met at a, at a uh, business event, and they, they're moving to Arizona, right? Do you know where that is? Yeah, I know where that is, yeah. Okay, yeah. So like they were, they were moving out of, uh, I think, the Alberta, Alberta area to move to. They just were like, yeah, we want to be warm. Yeah, that's well, why everybody goes down south for vacation. That's why nobody ever comes up to Canada. <laughs> so. As a kid, I actually came to Ontario um, because my father had to burn his timeshare. And it was so goddamn boring. There was nothing to do. <laughs> yeah, there's so. not a whole lot up here. So No, no, no. Anyway, so um, tell me about the event that uh, changed the course of your life. You could start by telling us the date and, and go from there. Yeah, you bet. So I was... Uh, I was working a night shift from 6 p.m. to 4 a.m. Um, on May 29th of 2019. Just a regular day, nothing too crazy about it. Didn't have any weird feelings or anything like that. It was just a regular shift. I was uh, posted in Wayway Sea Capital, First Nation in Manitoba at the time. And um, I was just sitting in the office, uh, banging out some court packs, catching up on my paperwork, and got a call from dispatch of uh, four intoxicated people outside the gaming center in the community refusing to leave. Um, I was working by myself. My nearest backup was over an hour away. Um, pretty small community, so um, we don't get the pleasure of having backup too often. It works out the odd time, but um, so I ended up going to the call at the gaming center, which wasn't too far down from the detachment, and seeing these four individuals outside standing beside uh, one of the vehicles in the parking lot. So I ended up talking to them, telling them why I was there, 
um, I was able to get two of the individuals to leave, uh, to cooperate with me and leave peacefully. Um, two other individuals had uh, walked over to their vehicle, which is on the other side of the parking lot. And I followed them just to make sure they weren't going to drive because they were intoxicated. And um, those two individuals were brothers. And I had passed dealings with them. They knew who I was. I knew who they were. And um, as I was talking to them at their vehicle, I noticed that there was another individual inside the vehicle and an open case of beer. So I said, hey, guys, like, you got to dump out this beer. You can't have that in your vehicle. So that's when the younger brother uh, started getting agitated and swearing yelling around and acting like an idiot and started pouring out the beer and whipping them around and spraying beer and stuff everywhere just outside the gaming center. So I told him, hey, man, stop fucking around you with a drunk tank for the night. So the older brother ended up talking to him, kind of calmed him down a little bit. And the, the younger brother ended up going going for a walk. I'm not exactly sure where he went, but uh, as I was shooting the shit with, with the other two individuals as they poured out the beer, um, that younger brother ended up coming back and which is acting like an idiot yelling swearing going on um and that's took off his shirt and i said um so here man you're in arrest as he was walking away from me so i went to go grab him and he turned around and threw a big haymaker at me i seen it coming and i ducked and he caught me with his uh right hand on the left side of my head behind my ear and uh i knew he hit me with something i initially thought it was uh i thought he punched me with a set of car keys or something in his head because i felt instant uh Warm, warmness. I knew I was bleeding. I knew he got me there. And he just continuously started hammering on, on my back and my neck a bunch of times. And um, from there, we uh, we fell to the ground. I'm not too sure how we got onto the ground, but we were on the ground. And uh, I just remember he was still hammering on me, but I could feel whatever he had in his hand go through my vest that I was wearing. And I uh, ended up pulling my, my uh, firearm out. And trying to shoot him, I leaned over, tucked in my shoulder, and tried to shoot him while I was on the ground. I remember him reaching his hand out there, touching my gun, and it didn't go off. Um, oh wow! Did he do what did he do? Kick it out of battery? Yeah, I think he kicked it out of battery. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but it just went click. And uh, you guys carry backup pistols? No. Just are you allowed uh, to? No, we're not. No. Why? I, I shouldn't say we. I shouldn't say we're not allowed to. Not that I'm aware of. I don't know any any police service in Canada that carries a backup pistol. Yeah, so we like that's a real common thing here. A lot of police oh, officers, really? yeah, in the United States, will carry two pistols. They'll usually oh, have actually. one on an ankle or somewhere. I used to actually carry one. Um, I had five eleven uniforms, but we had class A's, so it actually had a, um, it had a Velcro lining on it, and I kept a thirty eight special. You would never know it was there. So oh, I kept a thirty eight special in there. Yeah. So I and by the way. When I, I was a range of firearms instructor as well, when I, if I ever wore that uniform, I would try to practice with it a little bit, right? I didn't have to know a lot about it, but just retrieving the gun, knowing where it was, making muscle memory over and over again. I used to carry an ankle holster, but once I got those, once I got those 511 uniforms, they were really cool. Uh, I was able to just keep it. It was actually sat right under like my left nipple on my, uh, on my uniform. So I don't know. That's oh, yeah, a very, that's most cops here carry a second pistol on, on them. Yeah, we that's the guys up here in Canada. We just we uh, we carry taser, and if, if your department's got tasers and stuff like that, and then usually carbine shotgun. So mm -hmm. our agency had carbines and tasers, and we had the Glock nine mm. So, um, did you ever figure out what happened to the gun? Do you have any idea? I have no idea. I, I honestly don't. I think he put it on a battery. I don't know. It was kind of yeah. That sounds like what happened. He would grab the, so, the the receiver. It's not hard to knock a gun out of battery. So I ended up. Uh, 
I ended up tap racking that thing, getting up, and I remember just popping him in the head. Um, as I was getting up and backing up, popped him in the head, he fell to the ground, and I kind of assessed the situation, and then I just got on the radio and said, shots fired, shots fired, to my dispatch. Um, when our agency, we, we place nine different communities across Manitoba, and everybody's on the same channel, just okay. so everybody else could know where I was at and what was going on. I said, you guys have, did you, did you give a call number and tell you who it was, which shots fired, or do you have identifiers on your radios? We just have unit numbers, but when you key in, you got to tell who it is. But most, like, all the all the members know each other. We're pretty close to each other. Everybody knows their voices and stuff like that. And who's working. Mm-hmm. We're a smaller agency. We only have, like, 50 sworn members. Okay. So. Um, and how big of an area do you guys cover at 50 sworn? Um, well, we got nine different communities. So it's right across the province. The community I was covering was only, the community population is only about 2,500 people. Okay. So. Um, so. And I'm getting other radio. I said, shots fired, shots fired. I said, I've been stabbed about 15 times because that's why I Ooh. felt like I've been stabbed. He was just hammering on me. I said, I'm outside the Wayway C Capital Gaming Center. I said, I'm leaking pretty good. I'm just pissing out blood from, from, from my head. I don't know how bad uh, how bad uh, my wounds are in my back. And um, the, the radio is kind of choppy there up in Canada. We got really bad bad choppy spots up here where there's dead zones a lot. So, mm-hmm. um, were they able to get your information? You got it over? They received it? Yeah, yeah, I got it all clear. Yeah, everybody knew what was going on. Everybody started okay, cool. out. Um, so as I'm doing that, his the older brother, he starts freaking out. After I shot this guy, I got the information out. The older brother, he pops out of nowhere. I don't know exactly where he came from, but he was yelling and screaming. He was pissed off. Ended up taking him down at gunpoint. I said, get the fuck on the ground, man. I'm going to shoot you. Get on the ground. Get on the ground. I'm kind of dazed at this time. He listened. He saw the fate of his brother. Did you kill yeah, his brother? He, yeah. He was, he was looking at his brother and he, he got on the ground and uh, I had uh, went over there, had him down, prone out, gunpoint. And uh, I was like, all right, kind of took a minute there and uh, I went to go handcuff him. But both my handcuffs were were were, uh, were on the ground from the scuffle. I'd taken a pair out to go arrest, arrest the suspect initially. Yeah. And then the other handcuffs, to my knowledge, I don't know where the other handcuffs were. So luckily the gaming center had uh, some security work in there. So uh, I was yelling for them to come give me a hand. I always keep an extra pair. I keep two pairs of handcuffs on me and another pair in my duty bag, which is in the unit that I was in. So um, as I got this guy at gunpoint, I called for security to get a first aid kit and to uh, come help me get, get a pair of cuffs. So they, Let me ask uh, you a question. Do you guys have first aid kits in your car or do you carry an IFAC? We, we got this a standard first aid kit in, in the vehicle. Um, I know where do you, it was. Do you have an IFAC yourself too, though? You have a major trauma IFAC? No, no, we don't. I don't think. There's what, only a couple anybody... guys that are military trained that kind of carry that stuff, but we're not issued any of that stuff. That's ridiculous, by the way, just seeing so you know. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, like these are the things that I guess we've paid the price for here. And um, it's very common for agencies here now to issue IFAC kits. Yeah. We we don't even get issued tourniquets. You know, a lot of, a lot of members carry it. Mostly Crazy. all the members, they go and buy that stuff themselves. So. Um, a lot of members carry it. Um, so okay. luckily security security came and assisted me. They helped me find my handcuffs and helped me arrest the uh, arrest the uh, suspect. Uh, sorry, the older brother first, put him in the vehicle and then uh, helped me get, get the suspect in, in, inside the vehicle. As soon as I got him in there, I had uh, locked the vehicle and uh, with both those guys inside and ran inside the uh, gaming center and 
the security was great. They locked that shit down fast. Like there was a bunch of people playing the VLTs and stuff in there. And uh, they locked that stuff down. They got a first aid kit for me, an AED. They found somebody that had some advanced first aid. And they, oh, wow. uh, and I stripped right down to my boxers and just to just assess the situation because I knew I'd been stabbed in the back a bunch of times and I didn't know how bad Jesus. it was. So and I was pissing blood out of my, out of my head. So um, they ended up bandaging me up there. And uh, when I went into the gaming center, the, the radio, that's a dead zone inside the gaming center there. Um, so I had to get on cell phone. I called dispatch. I updated them exactly what happened. Stayed on the phone with them until backup arrived, which felt like forever. That was probably the worst feeling of it all. Was felt like way over an hour waiting for backup to come. But wow. I, what I about an ambulance? How long to get an ambulance to you? Well, ambulance won't come in until until there's a member there. They'll stage just because they don't know what's going on. That's they don't. <laughs> so um, I, I had a chance to look at the video. And uh, it was actually only 30 minutes before another, another member came. So Bro, that's a long time. You're talking to a guy from New Jersey. You don't know who Jersey is. <laughs> so I mean, long. dude, that's a long, there's not a place in this state where you'd have to wait 30 minutes for a backup. And by the way, yeah. I've met guys and girls who work for the national park service in Alaska and are like, it's a day. It's, uh, it's 24 hours to get somebody to come back us up. Yeah. It sucks. So that was probably the worst, the worst feeling of all. And um, the funny thing was, when the ambulance was the first ambulance that came there, they never took me. They took that guy first. They, they took the guy shot first. So they have to. Did you, kill, did you kill him? No, I didn't. Uh, the bullet went right through his jaw, and then lodged into re- redirected and lodged right into his left bicep. So when he was shot, was he like still like conscious and? Yeah, he was yelling around, but he wasn't going nowhere. He was. He was. His jaw was hanging there when I picked him up. Oh wow! He wasn't. Uh, it wasn't much of a threat after that. Um, so actually, when I when I reviewed the, uh, I had a chance to review the tape because the gaming center had security cameras there, and I didn't know this at the time until I watched the video. But I actually, right after I shot on my assessor situation, got got the information over the radio. I actually handcuffed the suspect myself and put him in the back of my car. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, handcuffed him by myself. I didn't know that. I was probably dazed or whatever. But, oh, dude, for sure. And the sure, security man. helped me put both those suspects in, in the vehicle. So, so backup arrives. Who comes to to for, to the rescue? It was the RCMP. They would have came okay. from surrounding areas. They were still the closest RCMP was probably 20, 30 minutes away. I, I imagine you guys all get along really well. You have to depend on each other quite a bit. Yeah, you know, there's always those clicks and stuff like that. But uh, you know, when shit like that happens, everybody's there. And it's, it's it changes things. So. So the ambulance comes in and uh, you get scooped up and you're on what, what kind of, what hospital did you go to? You've flown out. No, uh, you know, when I dispatch, I say, get EMS here, get stars. That's, that's the helicopter that comes, you know, cause I know we're in a rural area. There's no major hospitals around. Um, ended up getting transported to just a general hospital, which was the closest one. And, um, they've taken both of us there, both, uh, myself and the suspect I shot. And of course they treat them first cause that's their, their protocol. And I'm kind of waiting there and, it was just, um, it's just weird because when they brought, brought me into the x-ray room, his blood has been everywhere in the x-ray room when I was standing over top of all that shit, getting my x-rays oh and my stuff God. like that. It was gross. So, but they, they didn't really know what was going on. That's probably shocked them. They don't deal with that on a daily basis. So, right. So did you end up having to go to a trauma center? What kind of injuries did you sustain? Uh, you know, I had, uh, had about a four inch cut on my back. I had two stab wounds to my neck. 
and then six stab wounds to my back that went through my vest. So wow. luck, luckily, you know, the vest kind of took mo- most of it. And uh, I what was uh, he stabbing fixed. you? What kind of what kind of knife? It was a uh, it was almost like a pen knife. It was um, and a four like inch dagger. Blade. Yeah, almost like a dagger. I had a four inch blade. It was like razor sharp, and then like a six inch handle. So Jeez. I initially thought it was car keys that he pulled in, but when he first hit me, um, wow, it's, it's wild, dude. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I, I remember calling my uh, calling my wife while I'm waiting there because it just feels like forever. I told her what happened. I wanted I wanted her to hear it from me and not somebody else. I said, "Hey, look, I'm stabbed like a bunch of times." I said, "I'm okay. I'm going to this hospital. Just get there, find somebody to drive for you." Um, told her I loved her and whatnot. You know, I kind of choked up there a little bit because I wasn't too sure. I've seen lots of people, lots of people get shanked in the right spot and they don't make it right. So, um, yeah, I was a little bit emotional there, but. How did your wife uh, handle everything? Um, she was pretty shooken up afterwards. You know, um, she, yeah, she was she got a lot of anxiety now every time I go to work and stuff like that. And I probably took two months off after the incident before I went back to work and she didn't want me to go back, but I was getting bored around the house. So, have you, yeah, sure. And, and by the way, going back to work is probably something that mentally, to in order to continue your progression and, and healing was probably a good thing for you to do maybe not know that um, maybe, maybe you do what about her? i mean have you guys uh tried to get her some professional help to make her feel better and try to work with it a little bit yeah so um my agency was pretty good about it they they uh they ended up paying for her to see the psychologist the same one That's i great. seen there um and got her some help and stuff like that so yeah, I mean, look, we're human beings, man. Like, major trauma is major trauma, and people should not be ashamed of going through an incident like this or having a loved one or a partner or whoever going through a traumatic incident. The brain is only just an organ like anything else. So if there's trauma to it, if it's damaged, although it's not physical, we've got to address those things, you know? Yeah, exactly. So um, he sustains an injury. What happened with the brother? What is the What's the the final thing that comes out of this, what happens with the brother and him, um, prison imp- imposments. Tell me the rest. Yeah. So our court, it's obviously a little different. I don't know if you heard or not, but <laughs> up here in Canada, we got some pretty light sentencing compared to down there. Um, the brother never got charged. He didn't do nothing. Um, he never got charged with anything. The older brother did, but the, the, the suspect that stabbed me, he initially got charged with um, attempt murder. And which was uh, reduced to uh, aggravated assault on a police officer. So that's crazy, uh, man. I went to the highest courts, court of Queen Bench. Why? Sorry. Why do they draw, especially against the cop? Why would they drop? Um, I guess the the issue was they they were having Crown was having a hard time proving the intent uh, due to his intoxication level. Um, that was the oh reason my God. for. So ultimately, in the end, he pled to aggravated assault and got nine years. Dude, if that was if that was uh, in the United <laughs> States, he'd be doing twenty five plus. Yeah. So. And you might, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, dude. Like, I'm not saying every place is perfect, but when you do something like that here, you're twenty plus easy. Right? You yeah. get that in New Jersey. I mean, you're you're going to get twenty years in Jersey on that shit. There's no question about it. attempted murder. They're not going to drop it. And um. You know, I don't know. What are the position of the Canadian people with their police officers? You guys held in regard like we are here in high regard? Like in, uh, 
when when there's like an officer involved shooting, do you get investigated? Is that what you mean? Or no, no, no. Like so, you know, the, the media tries to portray this image like the people of the United States don't like the police, but dude, I'm telling you, people in this country love the cops, and and our our judicial system overall takes care of the police. And you know, somebody listening to this going, that's not fucking true. Yeah, no, it is true. There's no question about it, especially when a police officer is victimized. I've never had uh, so. Is it seen the same way in Canada? Are you guys held in a high regard and, and taken care of and they're not going to take shit for you, you know, if, if they fuck with our cops and stuff like that? Yeah, no, I think for the most part, everybody likes the cops up here. It's not as bad as down there um, on the media and stuff like that. Well, you've seen it on the media, dude, and I'm telling you, like, it's not what you... Okay, if you go to our inner cities, yeah, there's going to be issues. Chicago, Philadelphia. But, you know, it's interesting. Not everybody in Philadelphia, if you saw, um, there were actually videos during this bullshit riot stuff that was going on. And the people had enough and they came out and were protecting the police. You know, folks folks from South Philly came out and they were, they were, you know, they just weren't, they weren't having it anymore. It was enough was enough. So even in some of those areas, not everybody is anti-police. Um, you know, just in our major cities, dude, really just our major, major. And by the way, even in some like, I think about New Jersey, like the police aren't hated in all of our major cities. Like they're just not, they, they, they're, they're kind of liked. Um, you know, and I think, I think that they expose the minority to try to portray like it's the majority, but well, that's good to hear, man. Yeah, no, for the most part, everybody's pro police up here. We don't get the riots and stuff like they, like you guys do down there. So, well, it's because they, they, they let them tolerate, they tolerated it. And that, but by the way, they only tolerated in a certain few places. (laughs) There were other things that went on that they didn't, the media didn't find juicy enough to portray, but, uh, they didn't tolerate it here in this state. We have 50 states, right? In this state, they weren't tolerating shit. They didn't let it happen. We had a peaceful march, uh, which I respect tremendously. Uh, I think that um, a lot of stuff can get resolved before it has to get violent. Um, you know, and, and as a patriot and all that shit, you are entitled very much to express your opinion, not a, entitled to hurt, maim, or kill people who are innocent or, or destroy, I don't know, a half a billion dollars worth of property. So... Um, <laughs> You know, that that's I don't want to get too far down that path. Uh, I think the United States had got fed up with some of the bullshit after a certain amount of time and holding eight hundred thousand cops accountable for for one incident is is ludicrous or even a handful of incidents. You want to argue that. Um, so people, you know, there's a lot of victims stuck in the middle of that that deserve to go through what they went through. But, you know, there was a lot of issues with that. Anywho, what are some of the things that you think? you could have done better or any advice you could give buddy as we're coming to a conclusion on this podcast episode. You know, if I tell the members that are listening and stuff like that, you know, keep up on your training. Don't, don't, don't get complacent. You know, I dealt with these guys a couple of times before I knew who they were. Um, uh, just stay sharp, you know, any small, cause this was a typical call. We get this type of call all the time. A drunk guy refusing to leave a house or wherever a building, whatever it may be. It's a simple call can go sideways at any time. Stay on your toes. Do you think you do you, do you think you're, you're you think you had your guard up or a little down because it was a typical call? No, I think I, I I definitely probably had my guard down just because I've dealt with these guys before. I know I know what they're like. Um, typical call, you know. When, when you're going to when you're going to call, you're always playing the, the scenarios through your head. You know, you get a high priority call. You're playing. Okay, when I get there, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. You know, this this is just like all right. If they start acting up, I'm gonna arrest them for this and this. You know, that type of thing. But so yeah yeah well um any any other 
thoughts that we didn't cover on this episode of the podcast that you want to, I know you just expressed some stuff, but um, anything else you want to, that you think we have left out? No, I don't think so. Um, we talk and more do, do now not, down there in Atlantic City, so. Yeah, dude, and I, you better not forget my flag. Yeah, no, I'll bring it, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's all. I, I'm, I'm like, I can't tell you how super pumped I am for those who are not watching this podcast episode. He's got a, a Canadian blue line flag behind them and it's it's cool it's it's awesome dude and you know like the united states and canada is pretty much one and one and together it always has been always will be yeah so um i'd be proud to display the canadian blue line flag in my office i'm actually really excited to get it i don't get excited about a lot of things it's gonna look, <laughs> it's gonna look great in here dude i appreciate it so we appreciate you man appreciate your service and you know anything we can do for you here really looking forward to seeing the conference in uh, about 10 days and uh, don't forget you owe me a a hug so all right perfect sounds good Happy to be Quint, thanks for sharing your story man i appreciate you so much and be safe out there and uh for anybody's listening streetcop.com the facebook group all that jazz how did you hear about us by the way just out of curiosity uh actually one of my buddies had, had uh been taking some of your courses and stuff like that some like the, you're doing a great job with your podcast and stuff a lot of the guys up here are listening to your podcast they're even taking your training and stuff like that they're bringing it up here to canada and they're supplying it to our laws up here you know, I bet you that. And yeah, that dude, stuff. I'm telling you, I, I I have a funny feeling. Kenny just asked me the other day. I said, I'm telling you, we're going to be in Canada in 2022, if not 2023. I, I look forward to that. So I was just saying. It's going to happen. I was just saying to my coworker, I said, yeah, we should get that shit up here. That's sweet. Oh, yeah, it'll happen. <laughs> All right, Clint. I'll see you, buddy. Appreciate it. Right, take you. care. Thank you.